Well, I recently passed a mile marker in my own life. That's right, I hit 50 years of age just a couple of weeks ago. And I am now, according to my daughter Miranda, very old. After all, she says, I am half of 100. And you know, when you put it that way, it does sound a little bit old. And I suppose I am thankful, and I am, that I've made it to 50 revolutions around the sun on this small blue planet we call home. And I do admit that I find myself not nostalgic, but reflective. As I think about life, and especially how fleeting life is, it seems to me that every year I get older, time flies faster. I don't know if that's the case with you, but some who have uh, gone on this journey ahead of me and are older than me tell me that after 50, you actually pick up steam, (laughs) and time flies by at warp speed. And that's something to think about and to reflect upon, no matter where we are in life. I remember remember coming across a a confession by Leo Tolstoy. He's the man who wrote War and Peace and Anna Karenina. And he reflected one time on turning the age of 50 as well. And in, in this reflection, he was driven to the point of desperation. And listen to what he said. My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was What will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can be expressed like this. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? That's a very honest question, isn't it? And it's one I found myself asking as I turn that magical number of 50 and look at where I've been and realize I've probably lived most of my life behind me. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? That's a powerful and honest question. And if we're honest, very uncomfortable. It's a question that an old sage who lived 2,000 years before Leo Tolstoy wrestled with himself. He lived before Christ by several hundred centuries, or centuries, several hundred years. And it's a question that, as honest as it is, made itself into the collection of wisdom literature in the Hebrew scriptures. An inspired collection of scriptures that Jesus himself cherished and read. And he said points to him. And so we're going to look at that book of Ecclesiastes as we think about what it says about our fleeting lives. And we're going to call our our study today, when it's all said and done, what do you gain? Now let me give you a heads up, my friends. The sage is going to want to have an adult conversation with us. And, And for those of us who are younger in this room, he wants to have an adult conversation with you as well, even if you're not yet an adult. But let me just warn you, we need to put on our big boy pants and our big girl pants to to hear what he has to say, because it is is uncomfortable. It It is brutally honest. But remember, he's writing so that you and I might live wisely during the time that we have to live here on this small blue planet. So this is what the preacher says, Ecclesiastes chapter one, this ancient wise sage. These are the words of the preacher, 
the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, we made reference to this last week when we launched our series in Ecclesiastes, that this preacher is actually, the word describes someone who gathers people together to teach instruction. So he could be viewed as a preacher, but I like to think of him as a sage because he's not so much taking scripture and teaching us about what scripture says as he's looking at life under the sun and saying, this is what it's like. Having lived his life, he reflects back upon it. And he says, vanity of vanity, everything is vanity. And in saying this, he uses a Hebrew word called hevel. That B is a a soft V sound, hevel. And it literally means smoke or vapor, a mist or even a breath. Psalm 144 translates the word as breath. It says, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. I think James, the brother of Jesus, actually had that verse in mind when he would later write to a group of Christians these words. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's hard hitting, isn't it? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And the way the sage puts it, not only are we a mist, but we are a mist of a mist. We are very, very short. And and he's going to set up his entire book by asking us a very pointed question. You can hear echoes of Leo Tolstoy in this as well. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is the question he's going to unpack for the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. What does a man, that word man is the word Adam in Hebrew, it simply means humanity. What does humanity gain by all the toil at which they toil under the sun? Let's hold that question in our minds. And it's something that that we need to ask. What Tolstoy says is in the heart of every one of us if we just dig deep enough. Now, if we think about our lives, our adult lives, and if we work 40 hours a week, we work some 2,000 hours a year or 94 hours uh, over the course of our life. And that's just what we would get paid for going to work. Not to mention mowing the yard, cooking dinner, changing diapers, paying bills. Everything that we do over the course of the life that we have to live, we need to stop and ask the question, what do we gain? Is there anything that we do that actually gives us leverage over this life in which we can say that we profit from? The sage tells us this, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now, this is interesting. We usually flip this thing around the other way. A generation comes and a generation goes, but he reverses that order for emphasis. One generation appears and they exit the stage. And another generation comes after them and they take their time on the stage. But there's one thing that remains the same, and it's not the generations. They come and go. The earth remains. And so what the sage is asking us to do is to think about this world that we live upon. It was here long before us. And it's likely going to be here long after us. And against that backdrop, our lives are just a coming and a going. And what he's going to do is he's going to throw up for us three examples to think about just the the busyness of this world and everything that it does. The first one is the sun, verse 5. 
The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Here is exhibit A. He says that the sun is always busy. It's always about something. It's always doing something. But what does it accomplish? Here it says it hastens to the place where it rises. That word hastens is literally, literally the word pants. It's as if the sun is an athlete on a track going through the circle, running and running and panting and panting, except there is no finish line. It just keeps on doing the same thing over and over again. And so the sun is toiling, but it makes us ask the question, what does the sun gain by all its activity, all its toil, all its busyness? It's here working before us. It will be here working after us. He throws up another example, the wind. He says the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. Here's exhibit B. Think about the the wind. It's always blowing. It's always going somewhere. We feel it in our face every day. It's always engaged in activity. It's running its course. But where does it go? It just continues its circuit round and around. So we ask the question, what does the wind gain by all its activity and all its toil and all its busyness? And then he says in verse 7, all streams run to the sea. But the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Here's exhibit C, the streams. Just like the sun, just like the wind, the streams are always busy. They're always doing something. They're always about something. But what do they gain? What do the streams gain by all their activity, all their toil, all their busyness? They are just like us, scurrying about this world, doing things. But what gain is it? Do they ever accomplish anything? Do we accomplish anything? And as Solomon thinks about this, as this wise sage composes this poem, he says something that that seems very dark to us. In verse 8 he says, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What does he mean by this? Remember, he's asking the question, what gain is there for us, for all the toil with which we toil under the sun? What gain does this world have with all its toil? A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. This is what I think he's saying. When it's all said and done, what do I gain? No matter how much we talk about the meaning of life under the sun, Do we ever arrive at a satisfactory answer? No matter how much we go searching for that answer and put our eyes on this or eyes on that, we never quite see that meaning. And no matter how many people we hear, no matter how many courses we sign up for, no matter how many sages are out there to give us advice on how to live, it seems like the ear never gets its full. It never arrives to this place where it says, aha, this is what I get for all the toil with which I toil under the sun. Hevel. Hevel. Everything is utterly hevel. Trying to grab at the meaning of life is like grabbing hold of smoke. It's like chasing the wind. It eludes our grasp. 
And then he says this in verse 9. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There's this iconic phrase in here that has made its way into our culture. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I think the same thing when I read this passage. Sage, Solomon, preacher, there's all kinds of new things. I mean, look at my new car. That wasn't here in the past. And the sage says, well, what do you do with that car? Well, I go from point A to point B. People have always been going from point A to point B. Well, look at my new fancy smartphone. I can do all kinds of things with it. Well, what can you do with it? Well, I can talk to people with it. I can help manage my work better. Well, all people have been communicating in ages past. This is just a fancy way of of communicating. Does it help you answer the big question of life? What do you gain from all the toil with which you toil under the sun? It just helps you toil more, right? And it seems like what Solomon is saying here is the more things change, the more they stay the same. We get no closer to the answer of what will happen with my life. What is the value of my life? That the inevitable death awaiting me will not take away. And then he says this very starkly. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. This is a a splash of cold water in our face. Solomon says, we don't remember the things that have gone before us. And the people who come after us, they're not going to remember it either. And so Solomon, at the very beginning of this book, goes very deep and very dark with us quickly. He says, look, death always wins. Think of all the millions of people who've come before you. They had hopes and dreams and aspirations just like you do. And how many millions of those people who've come before us are completely anonymous to us? We have no idea who they were, what they did. Oh, sure, there's a few people who get some books written about them, maybe some statues put up, maybe buildings named after them. But those books are about their fleeting life that appear for just a little bit and then is gone and is read by other people whose lives are fleeting here for a moment and then gone. Maybe you get a statue put up in honor of you and maybe it gets toppled one day or people just say, what's the big deal? And it gets taken down and someone else gets put up. Or worse, even maybe the ravages of time just wear it down. Or maybe you get a building named after you. But after time, that building gets renamed. Someone who gives more money than you did. Or even that building gets taken down. What is our life? What do we gain by all the toil at which we toil under the sun? I came across this story last week by Douglas Sean O'Donnell. He tells us about a time when he was a star back in the day. This is what he said. A few years ago, I went back to my high school to play in an alumni basketball game. I was the star back in the day. Yet when I returned to play in this game, a mere 15 years after my graduation, almost nobody recognized my face or name. The alumni team I was on 
which had players mostly 10 years older or younger than I, didn't know me. I was so frustrated that I wanted to pull out the record book, point to my name and say, hey, that's me. But then I looked at the record book and I saw that my name had been relegated to the bottom of a few long lists. Someone had broken every glorious record that I once held. How tragic. I had worked so hard back then only to be forgotten now. What a waste. What vanity. My fame was as short and embarrassing as an air ball. To add irony to this tragedy, my high school was closed and then leveled shortly after the alumni game. Don't you feel for him? <laughs> I think all of us can, can think of a situation like that. Where maybe something we've done, that trophy we got or that award we received or some recognition just seems like hevel. It's forgotten. It evaporates and it is gone. There's a wonderful little book called Living Life Backwards by David Gibson. The subtitle of it is How Ecclesiastes Teaches Us to Live in Light of the End. And he says something here that I think is, is really powerful. It's unsettling and uncomfortable, but there's wisdom to be learned in the vein of where Solomon is taking us today and where he's going to take us into the future. This is what Gibson said. Whatever you think you've gained, it will soon vanish from the earth like the morning mist, and you along with it too. One day you will be dead and gone, and the world will go on probably without even remembering you. A hundred years after your death, the chances are no one will know you lived. Before I finish the rest of that quote, let me just ask you to take a breath. And that's heavy, isn't it? So take a deep breath. Let's inhale and exhale. By the way, the sage tells us our life is like that breath we just took. Gibson goes on. He said, if this depresses you, then keep on reading. There's still a lot to learn. But if it cracks a wry smile on your face, you're halfway to happiness. For the preacher is going to show us what we should and should not expect out of life. He's not saying there's no gain after we've chased the wind. He will insist there's no need for the chase in the first place. There is no gain to be had under the sun. And that's precisely the point. That's what Solomon wants us to see. That's what that sage wants us to grab hold on, hold of. What is your life? You are a mist. What gain do you have for all your busyness and all the work? What does it get you when it's all been said and done? Our life is a mist. And my friends, make no mistake about it. The book of Ecclesiastes, taken out of context, can lead you quickly to existential despair. Make no doubt about it. But remember, Ecclesiastes is but one book in the scriptures which compile this long unified story that leads us to Jesus and gives us wisdom for modern living. And so the job of Ecclesiastes in part is to ask us to be honest about our lives and how fleeting they are. And if you can be honest, if you can acknowledge that, and I know as young people that's even hard to conceive because you have your whole life in front of you, but it goes by so fast. Take it from a 50-year-old man. Time 
flies. How many times I wished when my kids were growing up that I could just push the pause button and enjoy this segment of their life just a little bit longer? How many times have I experienced good times with my wife? I remember the time that we celebrated our 20th anniversary in Hawaii, and I didn't want it to end. (laughs) We had, I think, seven days in paradise, and I wanted to hit the pause button. Every day I woke up, I thought about how fleeting this vacation is, and I want it to last forever. But it goes by so fast. And so if we don't catch Ecclesiastes in the larger story of Jesus, then we're stuck in meaninglessness. We're stuck in darkness. We're stuck, as where Elie Wiesel described in his book, Night, when he described his life as one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. That's where life apart from God, under the sun, east of Eden, leaves us. Seven times cursed and seven times sealed where nothing is new, nothing can be pointed at and said, look, this is new. But my friends, there was one other night, a beautiful night in which something new did happen. Something in which we could say to the sage, look, this is new. And we sing about it every year at Christmas. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices O night divine, O night when Christ was born. That song beckons us to remember that there was one night in which something that had never happened before happened when God himself became human to not only show us what it meant to be human, but to die in the place of humanity. And on that night, while the shepherds were tending their fields, the angels appeared to this weary world in sin and error pining with these good words. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all peoples. That word great in the original Greek is the word mega. I bring you good news of mega joy that will be for all peoples. For unto you is born this day a Savior. In the city of David is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so, my friends, when we we take the sage's advice and we ask ourselves, what do we gain for all our toil under the sun? And we arrive at the answer, nothing. That's when we are invited to take our eyes off our toil and put them onto the toil of Jesus himself. And we ask the question, what did Jesus gain by all the toil that he toiled with under the sun? We can arrive at a a different answer to that question. Now, think about this for just a moment. If we had been there on that day when Jesus was crucified, ah, we would have said, Hevel. Hevel, everything is Hevel. He was this beautiful man, but he ended up in the exact same place that all of us do, at death's door. And so that day we refer to as Good Friday, Jesus looked like an utter failure. He looked like he lost just like you and I lose 
this game of life. But what we didn't know and what no one knew at that moment was that when Jesus willingly laid down his life, he took upon himself the sins of the world. He made atonement for people like you and me. And so when we ask the question, what did Jesus gain by all his toil under the sun? In a word, everything, everything. God looked upon his sacrifice and was satisfied. And he loved his son and brought him back again from the dead. He crowned him king of kings and lord of lords, gave him the name that is above every name. And he is the heir of all things. And so Jesus is mega good news. Jesus is good news of mega joy for a weary world because in Jesus there is no remembrance of all our toil and sin. This is incredible news. As the author of Hebrews put it, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as is appointed for man to die once, And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The Holy Spirit also bears witness for us. I will remember their sins no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no sacrifice for sin. My friends, so much of our toil is marked not simply by frustration, but by our own curse and our own sin. But in Jesus, there is good news of mega joy that our sins are remembered no more. And that's good news for a weary world. But Jesus is also good news of mega joy for a weary world because in Jesus, our names are not forgotten. Under the sun, generations come and generations go and so many people are forgotten, but we're told that in Christ, our names are never forgotten. Do you remember that time on the cross when Rome crucified these three rebels, Jesus being the one that was innocent? And one of those rebels looked at Jesus and said, if you really are the Messiah, save yourself and save us. And the other rebel said, basically, you shut up. We are here and we deserve this, but this man has done nothing. And then he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What words of faith, what words of trust, what a declaration of who Jesus is, the one who will come into his kingdom. And so he simply said to him, remember me, remember me. And the good news is that Jesus does. Jesus said to this man, truly I say to me, uh, I'm sorry, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man that Rome crucified We have no idea what all he did, but Rome wanted him gone and forgotten. Jesus says, you will not be forgotten. You will be with me today in paradise. There's a beautiful passage in the Old Testament scriptures in the book of Isaiah where it says this. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What a beautiful picture coming from God. He basically says, can people forget things? Yes. Can people forget people? Yes. Can even a mother forget her nursing child? Yes. But I will never forget you because I've engraved you in the palms of my hands. And for Christians, that that promise has become even more glorious for us. 
Because not only are we engraved on the hands of Jesus, he still bears those scars that brought our entrance into that kingdom. And so here's one last point, my friends. Jesus is good news of mega joy for a weary world because in Jesus, our work is never in vain. Remember, the sage in Ecclesiastes is asking the question, what do we gain by all the toil with which we toil? All this vanity. Tolstoy, Tolstoy asks, what is my life? Is it worth anything? Do I accomplish anything? But in Jesus, our work is never in vain. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's this glorious chapter on the resurrection of Jesus. He talks about how Jesus appeared to all these different people, even 500 people at once. And then he crowns this chapter with these words. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And a lot of times we'll read a passage like that and we're thinking, oh, that's like teaching Sunday school or going to a Bible study. And those things are certainly included in it. But what is the work of the Lord? It is simply to do the will of the Lord. What is the will of the Lord? That you and I love him and that we love others. That is what he, he died to give us. And if he wasn't clear enough there, he says in another place in Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, think about this, whatever you do in your fleeting life under the sun, all the days of your life, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. And here we're told, all the days of our fleeting life, to offer our lives in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you're an accountant or a doctor, a homeschool mom, a student, offer your life. Offer whatever you have left, the fleeting days of your life to the Lord. And we're promised they will never be forgotten. Jesus himself will remember it. We will receive an inheritance. I mean, he tells us in another place that if we give a cup of cold water to one of his disciples, we will in no means lose our reward. Jesus never forgets. So, when we ask the question, when it's all said and done, what do I gain because of Jesus? In a word, everything. We will never stop talking about it for all eternity. We'll never stop looking at the beauty of salvation that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. We'll never tire of hearing about that glorious Savior who at the cost of his own life not only fully paid for all of our sins, but guarantees that our name will never be forgotten. Our sins will be, but our names will not be. And all of our work at which we toil under the sun will not be forgotten either.